I got some good news for you this morning. The good news is Jesus Christ came and died for sinners. He is rose again from the grave, victorious over sin and death. The glory, the glorious one is Christ Jesus. Now, I want to share with you something that is mind-blowing, and that is the glory of Christ is shared with you and me. We'll start with John 17, verse 22. Show you a little phrase here as Jesus is praying to God the Father. And he makes this statement. John 17, verse 22. says, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Stop and try to comprehend that a minute. Christ speaking to God the Father, and he says, Yes, you have made me glorious. I'm your one and only begotten Son. I'm the Savior of the world, the Redeemer of your people. I am indeed glorious, but the glory you have given to me, I'm going to share it. I'm going to give it to them. Very significant when you begin to think about just really all that means. I was reminded of it once when I was talking to one of my four-year-old friends. And uh, I saw one of my four-year-old friends out in the hall and it just looked like he was about to lose it and life was not going his way. So I knelt down and said, you know, what's up, man? You know, what's, what's going on? And he said, my life is miserable. You know, and I had to get beyond the fact that he doesn't know what misery is, you know, at four years old. And, you know, he doesn't really know what a life is yet. Uh, but anyway, trying to get beyond that, I said, okay, uh, why is your life so miserable? And he says, because mommy's gonna have a girl. And I tried to explain to him a little bit, you know, girls can be just as much fun as guys and it's going to be okay and life really not going to be that bad. And then I thought about it a little bit and I said, no, I said, there's, there's some truth to what you're saying. I don't want to just run by you and say life's going to be okay. I said, life's going to be different because you're the firstborn son. And as soon as that girl comes home, it really doesn't matter whether it's a girl or a boy. But as soon as the second boy or second born comes home, you are going to have to share your glory. And the reason you're going to have to share your glory is because mom and dad have to share their love. They won't just love one child. They will love two children. And Christ knew that, that he had come to purchase us, to bring us into his family as sons and daughters. And as soon as we are adopted and come into the family of God as sons and daughters, then Christ must share his glory because the Father must share his love. And I don't think there's any other passage that unpacks that better than Romans 8. So I do want to look at Romans 8 together with you. 
Romans 8, 31 to the end, verse 39, to begin to see how Christ's purchase of us, how that creates a love from the Father to us that we had not known and will never exhaust. Let me read it for you. Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake... We are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I think the foundation for this passage is verse 32. Let me read it for you again. I want you to see three things here. He who did not spare, that's the first, his own son, but second, delivered him over for us all. The third, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? First of all, think about this phrase in verse 32, that God the Father did not spare his own son. It's quite a statement that he would not do that. And to think about why he would not spare his own son. It's unnatural. We grow up seeking to, to spare our son, our daughter, I mean, as soon as a baby is born, especially if it's the firstborn, parents, I mean, they they don't want to hear it cry. Oh, you're crying, 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 you know, and you're you're there. Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. You do everything you possibly can. If they're crying, it sends the message there must be something that's irritating, frustrating, that's miserable. It hurts. You know, I want to quit that. You want to spare them from all pain. And you don't want to just do it in the crib. But as they grow older, you still want to spare them. And you start teaching them consequences. You teach them, you know, like gravity. Don't jump. There's laws that you've got to follow or you will be in pain. And I want to spare you pain. And so you teach them the laws and the rules of land so that they they see that if they live within these parameters, life will be more pleasant. And as they get even older, you start teaching them about uh, temptations and lust and coveting and uh, addictions. And you are constantly trying to spare them pain. 
I, I want you to know these things so that you, you're not given over to them because they will hurt you and they will cause you lots of pain. I mean, that's our life. And so we read a phrase, God did not spare his own son. It's like, whoa, that's quite unusual. Uh, we would do everything we could to spare our own son. And, and we'll take it even to the, to the greatest level. It, 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 it's, it's just the love of a father and a mother. If your child does something horrendous, like rapes another person, it's interesting if you go to the courtroom, if the rapist is a stranger and you don't know them, or even just not a family member, you are crying out to the judge, give them the fullest extent of the law, lock them away. But when it's your son and you hear the judge say, Give him 20 years to life, and you as a parent say, no, I know it was bad. I know it was terrible, but please don't let him waste his life forever in jail. That's our cry. We want to spare our own kids just everything we possibly can. God says, no, he did not spare his own son. As unnatural as it is, God didn't spare Christ. You know this. He didn't spare Christ from birth to the cross. I mean, surely as smart as God is, he could have come up with a better place for Christ to be born. Or even for Mary to have to travel when she's pregnant and then give birth and there's no room anywhere and they just find some leftover manger. Really, I mean, there's no hand sanitizer dispensers on the wall or anything. You know, like we've got today that we got to get clean, pure, and he has none of that. He's not spared germs or dirt or smells. He's in the worst places, worst time. And as he goes through life, it doesn't get easier for him. And there's pain after pain after pain, and he gets to the cross. Obviously, great agonizing pain. The pain is so great as he, he begins just to think about and pray about taking on the wrath of God for you and me, literal hell being placed upon him. And he cries out in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this cup pass from me, spare me. If it's possible, if it's your will, God says it's not. I won't spare you. You will have all the agonies of pain and hell pressed upon you, and you will die. People ridicule him and mock him and spit at him and crucify him. He's buried, he's raised. God did not spare his only begotten son. Left him alone to die. Now, kick this up one more notch. Look at Malachi chapter 3. The last book of the New Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Beginning at verse 16. If you have time today, go back and read the whole chapter and see how it leads up here and how God 
loves to talk about those who serve him and don't serve him and what he wants to do with those who fear him and serve him and how we serve him and fear him. Here's the conclusion. Malachi 3 verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and he heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine. I love that. I got that circled and squared and underlined. God says, I'm going to write, some people want to call it the book of life here. I'm going to write a book of remembrance. Those people that fear me, those people in fellowship under my name, he says, they are mine. Let's put their, write their names down, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 17. On the day that I prepare my own possession, and I, catch this, I will spare them. Same language. As a man spares his own son who serves him. God says, look at my church. Look at the people who serve me. Look at the people who worship and adore me. And when you find those people, write their names down. Because when I start to give out an inheritance in heaven, those are the ones I will give it to. Those are the ones I will claim to be their father. They will be my sons and daughters. I will take them through life. I will spare them so that they are ready for the inheritance I will give them. Quite a statement quite an assurance for us but for his firstborn his only begotten he did not spare he says I'll spare you but Romans 8 verse 32 I will not spare Christ then you see wow it's pretty significant that God would not spare Christ, but then seek to spare you and me. It's unnatural. He who did not spare his own son, even when Christ was in pain and agony, he didn't spare him. Think about the glorious love of God for you, for me. It really begins to give you the picture that this love God has for us is a, is a love that exceeds his love for Christ. Second, I want you to see in this passage, not only did he not spare him, but he delivered him over for us. Why did he not spare him? So he could deliver him over for us. Now again, would you do that? If, if something like a Ku Klux Klan mob showed up in your front yard and they start screaming, send him, send him, or give him, give him to us, give him to us, let him go, let him out. I mean, you come to the door saying, what? I mean, what's going on? It says, your son, give him to us. Give him to us. Well, why? What, what do you want to do with my son? We want to abuse him and crucify him. What do you do? You, you close the door and you load the guns. And call 911. You don't give him over. 
And yet, Romans 8.32 says, He delivered him over to be crucified for us. Do we, do we see what God is really doing in Christ? Let me, let me show you like four different passages real quick to think through this. Look at Galatians 3 verse 13. Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ is on the cross to be a curse, to be a cursed of God, to be separated from God, to be estranged from God, to be damned for us, literally. That's why Christ is on the cross. Now, with that understanding, to be our, take our curse, look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Beginning at verse 22, 22 and 23. It says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. This man delivered over, how? By the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And some of you have studied doctrinal terminology. You know that the word foreknowledge is, is literally God's for loving and you see it here by the predetermined plan and the for loving of God you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death so yeah there were other people involved in the crucifixion hanging Christ on the cross but who delivered him over says you yourselves know this that this man was delivered over by the predetermined plan and for loving of God. This was God's plan from the beginning. This was a, a plan that demonstrated God's love to deliver Christ over. Quite a statement. Uh, look at, at another passage. Look at Matthew 26, verse 31. Matthew 26. Verse 31, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it's written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Who is the I? It's not Jesus. He says, you're going to scatter tonight and you're going to scatter when God the Father strikes me down. It's another way of saying when God the Father delivers me, gives me over. Again, to deliver your son, to give him over. One more passage. Look at Isaiah 53. Verse 10. Isaiah 53. Verse 10 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief 
that he would render himself a guilt offering. When Christ is on the cross, the language here, the Lord was pleased to crush him. Literally, right after that, he, putting him to grief, is literally, he made him sick. The Lord was pleased to crush him and to literally make Christ sick. Again, you know the conclusion of Romans 8.32. He didn't spare him. He delivered him over for us all. There was a reason for it. But I, I want us to, to, to think, you know, more precisely because of the, the, the benefits of it. That who delivered Christ over? Was it Pilate because he was fearful of the people? Was it Judas that delivered Christ over? Because Judas was envious and covetous and he wanted the silver. Was it the Pharisees who delivered Christ over because of their horrendous hypocrisy? Who delivered Christ over? No, it was none of those. It was God the Father who delivered him over, who crushed him, who made him sick, who pierced him with the pains of crucifixion, who made him the curse for us because he loves us. In my place, condemned he stood and sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. When you, when you understand the one behind, you begin to feel the love of God. Well, let's look at the third part of this. Romans eight thirty two Did not spare his own son. Number two, he delivered him over for us all so he could freely give us all things with him. So he how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Why did Christ come to earth to die a painful death, to take the curse? Why did he become one of us? It's called the incarnation. Why did he rise again from the grave, defeating death, the grave, sin, and life. You know, none of it makes sense unless it's vicarious. Our Christmas story, incarnation, our Easter story, resurrection, none of it makes sense unless it is for us. I mean, why would you do that unless it's for someone else? Oh. And that's exactly what the scripture teaches us. It wouldn't make sense. But Christ does it for us so that with him we freely get all things we must see that substitutionary work of Christ the vicarious work of Christ he is doing it to put himself in our place to take our wrath that he might give us something and he says in this passage he wants to freely give us all things uh, what benefit unbelievable benefits so what do you get if God didn't spare his son, if he gave him up, he delivered him over for us, what do you get? And that's, that's how this unpacks the passage. Verse 31, what do you get? If somebody's against you, will they succeed? No, not hardly. 
Verse 33, suppose somebody brings a charge against you. Will they succeed? No, not going to happen. Verse 34, what if they condemn you? Will you be condemned? You will not be condemned. Because God has done all of this for us all. Verse 35, well, what if you get separated from God? Still not going to happen. You cannot possibly get separated from God because he's, he's invested too much. He's all in for you. He's given his son for you. He's given his literal life for you. So it doesn't matter whether there's, there's tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. doesn't matter. None of that can possibly separate us from the love of God. Now, think about it. Why is it difficult to shake a mother's love? Just think about it, man. Why is it, why is it difficult to shake a mother's love? Because a mother has literally risked her life for her child. Childbirth is a little easier today. We've got a lot of medical advancements. But still, childbirth is a risk of life. And we all know that. And the mother knows it, that she is going through excruciating pain in childbirth that could literally kill her. And when she survives, we always ask, is mother and child okay? Because she has just given her life to bring into this world another. And then she gives her life over and over as she nurtures that child from her own body to sustain that child and to keep that child. And so when the little child falls down and gets hurt and mommy grabs that child in her arms and kisses her or him and says, it's gonna be all right, the child knows it's gonna be all right. Why? Because this one who holds them now has already given her life. She will defend me unto death. She's already done that over and over. You can't shake that kind of love and that's what I want you to begin to see in the father's love for us what can possibly shake his love for us he says I've already given you my son I've given you my life I stood there I could was condemned in your place I took your curse I took your pain I took your sin I took your grave I took it all for you I took all the persecution, all the condemnation. I have already given you my life. What could possibly separate you from my love? See, it can't happen. It's, you know, even, even uh, I, I think of the Isaiah passage where Isaiah throws out, he says, uh, will a mother forget her child? It's a rhetorical question where we all say, not likely. And he follows it up. He says, and God has inscribed you on the palms of his hands so that you're always in remembrance of him. So even if a mother could forget her child, God will never forget or forsake you. He loves you with an everlasting love. How glorious is the love of God for us. He who would not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. 
can we be separated by some persecution, some war, loss of food, loss of clothing? No. We're convinced nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not death, not life, not angels, not principalities, not things to come, not things that have been, not any power in heaven, not any power on earth. Nothing can separate us. Because Christ has already given his life for us. So, what's the application? Two things. Number one, receive Christ. Because with him, you freely have access to all things. It's foolish to not receive Christ. Because in receiving Christ, you get all things. God has given us a gift. He has given us his only begotten son. If God is providing a gift for you, the first application is receive the gift. Listen, children. Listen, adults. Have you received Christ? Because God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, he has given us Christ If we receive Christ with him, we freely get all things. The clear application is that we must receive Christ. It's really foolish not to. Um, It reminds me um, when the, the lunar module landed on the moon. We're talking about going there again. Big mothership goes up a little ship called the lunar module breaks off from the mothership lands on the moon picks up some rocks and stuff you know comes back and connects to the mothership and the mothership comes back to earth that lunar module has to reconnect to have the life support it needs to get back to earth Christ came to earth died in our place and he goes back and connects to God in heaven and sits at the right hand of God if you're on earth get on board receive Christ because when you receive Christ Christ is connected to the father and you get all the benefits of being connected to the father You are already seated with Christ in heavenly places because you have Christ and Christ is connected. Receive Christ. Otherwise, you're on earth without life support and you can't get where you want to go. You must receive Christ. Second, live with no fear and with confidence. Because if God has delivered up his own son for us, how will he not with him freely give us all things? I don't have to worry. Will I have enough? Will I make it? I can have confidence. I can make it through tomorrow. I can make it through the persecution. Because I am with Christ. And if I'm with Christ, then I have all things. Suppose the doctors told me 
Let's suppose I have a two-year-old baby boy. And the doctors tell me, David, you got one week to live. Sorry, you didn't have much warning, but the, the illness has advanced so far. You won't be here this time next week. So what am I going to do? Am, am I going to go uh, bull riding and hang gliding and, you know, try to get it all in in a week? Not. Not a chance. What am I going to do? I'm going to spend that week trying to find somebody who will take care of my two-year-old son. So I go to you and I say, I'm, I'm going to be dead in a week. I need someone to take my boy. Will you raise him? Will you raise him? Will you raise him? And finally I find someone who says, David, I got this. I'll take your son. I'll raise him like my own. You don't have to worry. And I said, okay, great. I said, now, let me tell you what you get with my son. I said, well, what do you mean, what do I get? Well, I'm going to be dead. I don't need it. Let me, let me tell you, if you will take my son, then you can have my car, and you can have my house, and you can have my bank account, and you can have my life insurance. With my son, I give you all things. You don't need to fear if you're going to have enough. You can have confidence in how you're going to live because with my son, I give you all things. And that's what God does for us. How will I not with him, if I give you him, how will I not with him give you all things? Let's pray together. Father, oh, that we could comprehend the unfathomable riches of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. We ask, oh God, that you would help us more and more to know the depth and the height, the breadth, the width of the love of God. Help us to see we cannot exhaust it. We cannot fathom it. But we can sure live it and love it and embrace it and be loved by you unbelievably. Lord, help us to be overwhelmed by your love, your grace, that we truly live our lives in thankfulness, in joy, that we have a God who is for us and nothing can be against us. For those, O Lord, who are hearing this for the first time, may they be able to say, God, I want you to be mine and I want to be yours. I want that relationship forever. Lord, draw them to yourself. Grant them this wonderful gift. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.